show me the way to I'm taking my time on my ride. These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as the playlist. Last week we left off with me moving to Glendale, California with a six-year-old and a one-year-old after a whirlwind seven-months-long online long-distance romance during which we first met in person on Halloween night 2001. And after feeling deeply attracted at first sight, passionately bonded after the first night, newly in love sitting on a bed in Winneka, California, four nights later, as I responded to him looking up into my eyes saying, marry me, with I will, as if it was the easiest and most natural thing in the world. Our soundtrack that weekend, I don't remember in music, but in movies. We watched Say Anything, Free Enterprise, Zero Effect. I can't remember the fourth one right now. We also watched several episodes of Buffy. All movies and TV, which I hadn't seen before. Robert invited me into his world, but I did not invite him into mine. He didn't have any interest in Mariah Carey or the R&B girl groups I listened to. While I don't blame him, once again, I found myself starting a new relationship and acquiescing to the preferences of my partner. Our playlists on our second, third, and fourth trip together, which involved me going back to California in December, him spending a week in Pittsburgh, meeting my family over the week of his 26th birthday in January, and then me attending the alternate press expo to support his comic book art that February. It was that weekend when we confirmed our desire to live together and follow through on those marriage plans, and we did both in March 2002. Our long-distance playlist included mostly alternative rock, and rock was having a great resurgence that year, with Incubus, Blink-182, Weezer, The Strokes, The White Stripes, Black Rose, and so many more in rotation. We had a joke song, Nickelback's How You Remind Me, which seemed to come on every single time we got in the car cruising around Los Angeles. System of a Down's Toxicity, to which I burst into tears listening to as he drove me back to the airport after our second visit, knowing how much I'd miss him. When I'd cried a tantrix morning, which I played on repeat, after we got into an argument when we were 2,500 miles away from each other, and it killed me not to be able to resolve it. To Lincoln Park's My December, after a sad event that long December in January, we went nearly two months without seeing each other, and I started to doubt our first two visits were even real at all, as his touch, and his smell, and the sights and sounds of the traffic of Los Angeles all started fading from my mind, and I could only feel the bone-chilling Pittsburgh winter cold. But we made it through, and that March 2002, after two grounded planes and an extra day of travel, I arrived a day late, and Puddle of Mud's Flurry, which topped the charts that week, played on the drive that evening, with the four of us arriving at our tiny one-bedroom apartment with almost no furniture. The apartment cost twice as much as my Pittsburgh mortgage, and it was there on that bare floor where we conceived our third and youngest child, our first together, born nine months later on Britney Spears' birthday. Although I knew I was pregnant falling asleep that night on a futon on the floor, she's always made her presence felt. It wasn't until the end of that month, one day after we married, when unwritten laws seeing red topped the charts, that we looked at that positive pregnancy test and cried. It was an odd time in music for me, because for the next several years I was married to a man who loved rock, listened to K-Rock, and because I didn't have a license and didn't drive, was always in his car listening to his tunes. We didn't have much money, and this was also pre-cell phone and Spotify days, so I didn't have access to more music. And I worked for a mortuary where I spent my days communicating with coworkers and clients, so not much access to Top 40 radio. So I missed the entire early 2000s post-9-11 era of John Mayer, Ashanti, and Kelly Clarkson, Jason Mraz, and Sean Paul. Instead, I was jamming on the way home from work to the White Stripes. That doorbell song was good, don't at me. 
Queens of the Stone Age, and Audio Sleeve. In 2004, I started my first year of college as a 27-year-old mother of three. And as Robert drove me to my intro to psychology class that winter, we listened to Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams and Blink-182's I Miss You, two songs I still love to this day and to which I associate with one of the best years of my life. I had a husband with whom I was deeply in love. Our three children were healthy and funny and thriving. I had a job I loved at Forest Lawn, helping families during some of the most difficult times of their lives, and I was learning new things every day in college. By 2005, we had moved to a larger apartment, and I found myself on the jury for a capital multiple murder trial, mostly because I actually enjoyed jury duty, so tried to stay on the panel rather than get kicked off of it. And my queen Mariah Carey had a new album, The Emancipation of Mimi. So for two and a half months as I took the bus downtown to the Clara Shortridge Courthouse, listened to the entire album, and did readings for my history class and brainstormed drafts for my writing classes. It was the first album I had listened to in my marriage that was truly mine. And while I genuinely did love early 2000s rock, made me feel like I was myself again. I learned every word to every song. American Idol was really popular at that time, and Adam Lambert had some great covers I also listened to. Most of us had MySpace then, which opened up a whole new world of music, with bands like Panic at the Disco and artists like Nicki Minaj getting discovered there. But while emo hit its full stride with Panic, Fall Out Boy, and My Chemical Romance all topping the charts, it wasn't until my youngest a decade later in her middle school years fully embraced this fandom that I fell in love with these bands, even seeing Panic at the Disco and Weezer in concert just a few years ago. In 2007, after connecting with a best friend I'd lost touch with years before, then visited her in Oklahoma that year, I went through a brief phase where I listened to Ray J's Sexy Can I, Neo Smith's Independent, and Bubba Sparks' Miss New Booty. My oldest was in middle school then, and she listened to Akon and Shakira, so they were also staples in our house. The years from 2007 to 2010, I was an English major at Mount St. Mary's University, and instead of listening to rock or pop, found that reading hundreds of pages of novels and plays and poetry every week, and writing scores and scores of papers, meant I couldn't listen to songs I knew well, so no song lyrics for me. If I heard the lyrics, I was going to sing them and be distracted. I preferred to write in silence or to the muffled background sounds of coffee shop music. And if I was writing at home, it was with three kids running around and whatever movie or television show Robert happened to be watching. So, despite my love of divas, paid almost no mind to Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, or Pink at the end of this decade. And although I wish I could say I fell in love with these chart-topping icons later on, I really didn't. Of these four women, I now listen most to Taylor Swift, but mostly her later pop catalog. It wasn't until my final year of grad school in 2012, when I was writing my MA thesis, that I found my way back to top 40. Completing a research project with over 100 sources and well over 100 pages long meant tons of time searching for journal articles, reading them, annotating, and writing all on my computer. But because this was technical writing rather than the creative writing of my English major undergrad, I found that music with lyrics didn't distract me as much. One day I thought it would be fun to listen to every song that ever charted on the Billboard Top 40. And while I didn't do that exactly, I did listen to the Billboard Top 100, starting from 2011 and going backward all the way to the 1940s. It was really fun going backward rather than forward, because when I would hit upon a certain year where pop music changed drastically, it felt abrupt and especially noticeable. Of the six-plus decades of music I listened to, 
There were two years that jumped out more than any of the others, and those were, any guesses? 1984 and 1964, with an honorable mention to grunge in the early 90s. 1984 because Madonna and Michael Jackson, the queen and king of pop, ushered in what we define as pop music today, and also what we think of when we think of 80s music. True, 1983 was a bit of a transition year, with Michael Jackson having both Billie Jean and Beat It charting, but 1984's Thriller and Madonna's self-titled debut album were game-changers, much different from the sounds of 1982's chart-topping artist John Cougar Mellencamp, the Steve Miller Band, and Olivia Newton-John, the last gasps of 1970s music culture. By 1984, the country had overcome a major recession, Reagan was up for re-election, and the trickle-down economics and the takeover of the party by the religious right had begun. The most notable year and most drastic shift of all, 1964, was of course, you guessed it, when the Beatles entered the charts with five top 20 hits. Anyway, listening to the charts in reverse was so much fun, thinking about politics and history and just world events influence on music. It allowed me to catch up on a ton of great hits I'd missed during the years I'd neglected the top 40, and allowed me to wax nostalgic on so many great favorites I'd forgotten. It also helped to keep me grounded and focused on my current writing project. After I'd completed my billboard project, but still had some thesis left to write, I fired off the last 50 pages of writing the week before my draft was due to a rap playlist of Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Digital Underground, and Biggie. We all have someone that digs us Trying to tell ya that there's always been a rainbow hanging over your head. I should probably mention that I was completing my last semester of grad school following the most devastating January, the most devastating day of my entire life, which ended with an abrupt and unexpected separation from my husband on January 28th, the week when Rihanna's I Found Love in a Hopeless Place was number one, a cruel irony. And though we tried our best to make it work later that year, dedicating Incubus's dick to each other, we failed to live out its mantra of, if I turn into another, dig me up from under what is covering the better part of me. But after a stressful year, where I failed to find a teaching job entering a brutal job market, and suffering from a thyroid tumor which was eventually removed that next January 2013, when Bruno Mars's Locked Out of Heaven was number one, in February of 2013, he found an apartment and then moved out when Macklemore's thrift shop hit the number one spot. Later in 2013, my ex moved back into the house and became the primary parent to our children, and I moved out because I was dealing with physical health issues and mental health issues, which required psychiatric care following a breakdown. I was on disability from work, barely parenting, hating myself, and living with a new boyfriend. I made so many mistakes during this time. I spent a few months at the end of 2013 listening to a lot of Beyonce and also a lot of classic hip-hop on K-Day in the new guy's bed, wondering how in the hell I'd ended up there and wondering how I'd ever crawl out of this hole I'd flung myself face-first into. I needed to start dealing with my issues. In 2014 and 2015, I was starting my teaching career and getting my life and mental health on track. So, far too busy to notice that the middle of this decade brought the last hammer throws to rock music, 
with the ubiquitousness of social media bringing about resurgence in teen pop acts and R&B, with a nary a rock act on the top 100 charts. Outside of softer, more indie fare like Mumford & Sons, or more bland and tepid acts like, apologies if you like them, Imagine Dragons. I finally got a smartphone mid-decade and became part of the huge drop-off of radio listeners. Almost half during this decade, who now stream music over Pandora and Spotify and Apple Music. Or maybe it was also turning 40 in 2017 that I'd become my parents, no longer finding connection with the next generation's music, just like my boomer parents couldn't connect with Gen X's Madonna and Michael Jackson. They stopped listening to the radio around this time as well. Because I love so many different genres of music, as my kids have gotten older, I've let them control the playlists. When my youngest is in the car, that means lots of emo trinity. My son listens primarily to classic rock and classical music, and my oldest, whose musical tastes most closely match mine, listens to lots of R&B. I have her and the college students I teach to thank for new artists like Janae Aiko, Victoria Monet, Frank Ocean, and Russ, many of the artists I mentioned at the beginning of last week's show. The one new album I've listened to all the way through dozens of times in the past couple of years is one I made fun of for years prior, and one that my kids think is funny that I like now, Taylor Swift and her album Lover. I'll always associate that album with a pre-COVID August birthday school prep for our last normal semester at Cal State LA time. This album carried me through my fall commutes, was my go-to, I learned the words to every single song and belted them out in my car if I was frustrated in traffic or sitting in the parking lot getting out some pre-class lecture jitters that I still have, even after 10 years of teaching. Once COVID hit in 2020, I found myself at home working and cleaning and living, and Spotify became my most used app. I found an old book in the closet I bought at a thrift store years before, a Billboard charts book from the 70s and 80s, so went through thousands of songs and made a playlist. I discovered a love for a previously undiscovered genre as well, feminist country. Casey Musgraves has also given us some incredible songs, and she's one new artist I'd love to see live someday. This summer, we went on two road trips, one to Seattle to pick up our youngest daughter after COVID thwarted her college plans, and a beautiful and peaceful road trip through Utah with my son and his girlfriend. A summer I reunited with my ex-husband after seven years of separation. I was ecstatic that he also liked her music. He and I drove thousands of miles listening to every metal and rock ballad we could remember, and cheesy as it is, I belted out so many lyrics thinking of him, and as I listened to his voice, he's a great singer. I imagined him singing those lyrics to me. Regardless of what he was thinking about, driving through wide-open Monument Valley and gazing up to hundreds of stars at night to ballads intensified all the emotions. I love music for that. So much so that in the past month, I've now started getting bored with my playlist. I'm not sure who to listen to next. I'm not sure which playlist will accompany what with the election and continuing COVID epidemic is sure to be one of the most stressful and intense time periods our country has ever faced. One thing I plan to do is start with the billboard charts of 2019 and go backward to 2010 so I can familiarize myself with a decade of music that I mostly ignored. Maybe I'll have so much fun I'll start with this year and go all the way back to the birth of the Billboard charts once again, taking more notes along the way this time. But, listeners, what other artists should I check out? Are there political protest songs being made, like during the late 1960s civil rights movement, that just aren't getting radio airplay? Is there great rock being made that just isn't hitting the charts? 
Who are your current favorites or the hidden gems I might not know about? Let me know at Life is a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or email me at lifeisaplaylist at gmail.com. Until next time. My love's music. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. <laughs>